0: Welcome to Dr. Me First. I'm your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. This podcast is all about learning to take care of yourself, your life, and your practice. Are you ready? Let's go! to one that is joy-filled, sustainable, and that you absolutely freaking love. I'm so excited to be with you today for another episode of Dr. Me First. I'm talking with Dr. Stacia Dearman. She's a pediatric emergency medicine physician, but most importantly, she's here to talk to us today about what she's doing as a physician litigation coach. She helps us, her colleagues, when we have painful outcomes, malpractice, or just an adverse outcome that we need to help process through. And this comes from her own experience of going through this. I'm so excited to share her story today, to share her words, which is fault line, and just gift you with this incredible conversation. So go ahead and listen, and then stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Stacia Dearman. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Oh, Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm right, excited well, to be here. why don't you tell everybody how amazing you are, the work <laughs> that you're doing in the world, and maybe how you got there.
1: Well, I am a physician who's passionate about my colleagues who are confronted with unexpected, painful, adverse outcomes, and malpractice litigation. And uh, how did I get there? Well, probably anybody could guess that the way I got there was by being a physician who had an experience with a painful, unexpected adverse outcome and confronting my own malpractice litigation. And in the midst of a trial, a three-week trial, I stumbled across information around physician suicide It touched me very deeply, and I realized that while I don't know what all the factors are that contribute to physician suicide, I thought that the experience I was having was certainly one of them, had to be one of them. And so that's kind of where it began. And at that moment, I mean, literally as my trial was wrapping up, my heart was making a commitment to start teaching physicians about how to survive malpractice litigation, further exploring how we experience unexpected outcomes and how we can grow through them and come out the other side sane, basically. And uh, that was three and a half years ago and I've been pursuing that passion ever since. So how amazing am I? I don't know, but I'm here to tell the tale, so I feel amazing about that.
0: (laughs) You are amazing, definitely. Your work is so touching to me because you're meeting people at their lowest of lows. I mean, malpractice is that big, ugly, scary monster in the room that we all know could potentially bite us in the ass at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think we
1: are, as a community, understandably afraid of it. And we seem to have created some kind of cultural agreement as a group that we're going, for the most part, to pretend it doesn't exist other than to talk about how to avoid it. So then when a person does not successfully avoid it, feel very ashamed of the fact that they that it has landed on their doorstep. Um, and I think for most physicians, the you know it's surprising when I tell them that the majority of American physicians, even in the quote unquote low-risk specialties, are sued in the course of their careers. So people just have no idea that their colleagues, their mentors, the people they most highly esteem have been through it or are going through it. And you know, there's just this whole network of, of people who have this experience and haven't known how to connect with each other and heal each other. But I believe that, you know, opening the conversation is our first step. So really, when I first began to contemplate what's my mission here, I said, Stacia, like, think big. And I ultimately thought my mission is to create a national or an international conversation about what it means to us to experience these bad outcomes. And you know, for those of us in the U S what it's like to live through malpractice litigation in the U S so, so that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, it's, it's been a very empowering experience for me.
0: Well, I am so glad that you are opening up the lid to this dirty little secret that you're right. We only give it power to it if we continue to treat, keep trying to hide it. Right, right,
1: right. That's a lot of power to give to it, to believe that this is something I can't acknowledge in my professional environment, something that so profoundly impacts on me, and I'm not permitted to acknowledge it.
0: Well, great. Well, there's so many parallels, like we were talking about before on the podcast. I love hanging out with you on social media because, you know, I hang out in the burnout realm, which definitely... We overlap in many different aspects, and I love that you've taken on this niche specifically of physicians in malpractice because of your own experience. God, the bravery with that. I just applaud you for it.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's because been, I it's feel been like enriching you're the, for me.
0: One of the first ones to say, I can do it, and so can you. And here I am to teach you and to be open and to empower you with the resources that you need. You know, Yes, you can be, and acknowledge, yes, you can be scared and you can feel all the feels. Okay, then now let's get down to work.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And feeling all those feels is part of the work, I think. I think it's a big part of the work. And I think as physicians, we are, I personally have become very highly skilled at setting aside emotion. I work in a pediatric emergency department. And were I to feel all the feelings that could arise in my work environment as things unfold, that would not be good. I would not be able to run a resuscitation. I would not be able to address the parent of a child who's died if I felt all those feelings at that time. So I've gotten very good at setting them aside. The issue is that sometimes we don't have the time or the space or the opportunity to take them back out and feel them. And so then we learn to just ignore it all. And I think what I learned through my experience with this one particularly devastating outcome and my litigation is that approach of setting the emotions aside is only functional up to a certain point. And then beyond that point, it becomes profoundly self destructive, right? Yeah, it's
0: malignant. I, how, oh my gosh, the same way I talk about this too. I talk about how we have learned to armor ourselves up, you know, put on those plates of steel. Yeah. And that when you don't take the plates of steel off, when you don't disarmor, you start to fester and rot. Oh, yeah. And so that's the illusion that I bring to my people talking about burnout and feeling all the feels that yes you got to put your armor on you got to do your job but it's also so important that you take it off
1: yeah yeah that's right that's right that's right or it just becomes like a super glued on to you and you also miss out on all the positive feelings that you might have the opportunity to feel and the growth right i think um You know, if you imagine like a hermit crab, you know how hermit crabs move from shell to shell as they grow. So we need a little bit of a shell, but we don't need exactly the same shell our whole lives long. We need to be able to break out of it and adopt a new one.
0: And fit so, into a new space. Yeah. I recently saw an Instagram post. I was talking about that. Don't try to squeeze yourself into the, your old space. Grow, expand, and find yeah. your new fit. And so that's one thing I love, too. I'm going to have to use that hermit crab one. I'm still on that. <laughs> <laughs> My kids had hermit crabs, and we were just fascinated by them. <laughs> I'm so glad to introduce you to my audience in that extra long introduction and and just start kicking off into this conversation because it's just going to be phenomenal because the word that you're bringing today is fault line.
1: Tell me why. Well, here's why. I heard this interview. Uh, probably two or three years ago, done by Krista Tippett on her show On Being, which is a production of Public Radio International. And this interview is available as a podcast, so I can send you the link if people want to hear it. She interviewed this man named Xavier Le Pichon, who is an older Frenchman he is a religious Catholic, and he's very committed to a movement that provides for the needs of adults with de- developmental disabilities. And part of their interview was talking about the spiritual component for him of dealing with the most fragile human beings. But, oh, by the way, Xavier Lepichon is also the man, a physicist, who, a geologist, who came up with a theory of tectonic plates, He developed the notion, he was the first to articulate the notion that the Earth's crust is covered with these large plates that are not static but are constantly in this slow motion and that the crust and core of the Earth are in and of themselves a living being. And in the course of this interview, he articulated the notion that where the fault lines exist between the plates, such as like the San Andreas Fault in California or the fault line around the Pacific that the volcanoes uh, tend to lie along the ring of fire, where those exist, when that movement occurs and the friction between plates occurs that we recognize as creating an earthquake... On the one hand, there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of destruction. And on the other hand, those are the most fertile and biodiverse places on Earth. That when the fault line moves, when the plates move in a way that from our small perspective we view as destructive, it draws up all this fertility from down in the Earth's crust. So in his view, this fragility that sets the stage for the movement and the friction is the source of fertility. And for me, when I heard this, um, it just was a powerful notion to me because in my own life, having been through particularly this experience with my patient and my litigation, but also other difficult experiences in my life, it resonates for me to recognize that these places where there's unexpected friction and maybe even destruction also turn out to be the most fertile places. And you don't necessarily feel that going in. And when you're in the middle of it, you might feel like you're being squeezed between Two plates in motion, and yet at the end of the day, there's all this fertility that's made available to you by virtue of that gigantic movement, those big earthquakes. So he caused me to think about fault lines in a whole new way. Think about those um, experiences in a whole new way.
0: Yeah, definitely reframe it from one that is filled with fear. To one that I don't know as you're talking, you know, the the possibility, you know, it's almost kind of like labor when in childbirth. Like oh yeah, you don't really want to do it. (laughs) Right. Right. But but you expect it and you know it's gonna be tough. Right. You know you're gonna come out the other side with this new little creature.
1: Right, right, right. Right. And I think we see this with the patients we care for, right? We meet people who may receive a devastating diagnosis or have a child with really major disability. And in some instances, some of those people manage to take that experience and just turn it into something so magnificent either emotionally or spiritually or for the benefit of others, the benefit of the community. You just look at them, I look at them anyway, and just marvel at how they did that. But I think that's an example of, you know, no one seeks out those difficult experiences, right? In many instances, we do seek to have a baby and we go into labor, hopeful if a little bit, with a little trepidation. trepidation. Um, But, I don't think there's any physician who seeks litigation or seeks for their patient to have an adverse outcome uh, or any parent who seeks for their child to have a major disability. Right. Absolutely. So, so I just, I find that whole notion that um, what feels like the crust or the surface of our lives, when it shifts, even the surface plates of our identity that, piece, the tectonic plate of our identity as a physician, the tectonic plate of our identity as a, a mother or father or a daughter or a sister or brother or uh, any other kind of role we might play in the community, that when those things shift, there's actually some fertility underneath it that has the opportunity to rise to the surface. And without the shift would not rise to the surface. I mean, that's the thing, right?
0: Exactly. Without that, it would, it would be undiscoverable potential that would just be stuck for where it is at. Right. So where have you seen this or where have you applied this in your own life or maybe even perhaps where have the, the clients and people that you've worked with, where have you seen maybe fault lines that have brought this magnificent fertility Well,
1: I think for sure, you know, your image of armor is a good one. I think many, many physicians struggle with a mindset of perfectionism, right? I think the medical school admissions process selects for perfectionists, and I think people who have a perfectionistic tendency may be drawn to medicine. Right, We have this hope that we can make things right, that we can make things perfect. And so I think there's this perfectionism that we come in with or this, ideal, this idealized sense of what we could be in the world of medicine and what the practice of medicine could be. And a really difficult or devastating adverse outcome, whether or not that's due to an error, but even more so if a person thinks they made an error has the potential to shake that perfectionism to the core for one right if the person for me i i openly acknowledge that perfectionism is something i have grappled with on and off my whole life and even recognize the need to release and find that I cannot perfectly release my perfectionism even, right? (laughs) It's just maybe just a piece of who I am to struggle with that mindset. But the more I'm able to release myself from that kind of standard and enter a mindset that says, you know, fail fast, fail often, that's where the growth is going to be, the better I do. So I would say for a lot of physicians, one common theme around adverse outcomes is being able to challenge the perfectionistic mindset and that is fertile in every area of life it's fertile in every area of life um, where else might it come into play I think a lot of people experience a lot of guilt around adverse outcomes and there's a lot of growth to be done for many of us maybe a especially women physicians, or maybe this is just my experience, but I think a lot of growth to be done around boundaries, you know, what is in my control and what is not. My particular painful outcome involved a patient death, and a few days after that death, a nurse I had worked with for years who loved and respected me could see how I was hurting came to me and said, you remember that you don't get to choose who lives and dies, Right and I cannot tell you how powerful those words were for me I really think at that moment I didn't remember that and that was boundaries work that I had to do right it's not that I have ever thought of myself as God but I also just have to be reminded sometimes how small I am and where my power begins and where it ends right so so I think I think those are kind of two most obvious areas, and then we already hit a little bit on the, the sense of uh, disconnection in the physician community. I think a lot of physicians feel a lot of isolation, and I think we have a lot of work to do for ourselves as a community to alleviate that, right? We are the only ones who can alleviate that. So a sense of shame after an adverse outcome or in the face of litigation is an isolating feeling. And being willing to step beyond that is another area, I think, of growth that uh, impacts upon a person lifelong, right?
0: Absolutely. I love those three points of, um, you know, being a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> and I will always be a recovering. I will always yeah. be recovery from it. Uh, that um, dealing with guilt, yes, absolutely, and holding boundaries, because we do do some really phenomenal things that that essentially are godlike. I mean, if we'd go back two hundred years and show them some of our mag- magical medicine that we have, yeah, they would be astonished. Yeah. And so it is such a good reminder. Um, I do an exercise with myself and with my clients that I make them get a piece of paper and draw a circle on it. Yeah. Everything you can control, you put in the circle and then everything you can, not you put outside the circle and you just see like when it really comes down to. So yeah. what's in your circle? Is, is, you know, my key words to go back to that, to remind them, like, what, what do you have true control over? And so, you know, I think that's one thing that I know the serenity prayer has been just overused and beat to death, but sometimes it is really important to know the difference. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think we see and hear that so much because it is so relevant always to be saying, you know, the serenity you know, to know the difference between the things I can and can't control, right? Not be wasting our energy on the things we can't control instead of applying it to the things that we can. Mm-hmm. So I like your image of drawing a circle and thinking about what I can put in that circle. It's pretty much like uh, me. I can control me. And yeah. that's only some of the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, Sometimes I'm not even controlling of me. <laughs> right? <laughs> My children have been some of my best teachers, and my um, first grader came home the other day very, very upset about one of his little friends and whatever the situation had gone on. And I kind of went to coach mode on him, and I was like, "Camden, in this, this, what's going on? What can you control?" And it was really fun to actually me process through that with him, because then he was, you know, he would say some examples that were you know, a first graders level of thinking. And I'd have yeah. to say, can you really control what your friend said? Can you really? And so it was really nice to to be able to work that through with him because then as I've been working with adults, <laughs> it's all first grade problems sometimes.
1: <laughs> that we can yeah, go back yeah. to.
0: That.
1: Yeah. Well I think in a, in a process like a multi-year experience of an adverse outcome in litigation, that's a very important question. What can I control here? Like really, you know, it feels like you're thrown into this process that involves a lot of gamesmanship, sometimes on the part of people whose ethics and value system does not align with your own right? You may not feel comfortable with how some of the other players in the situation are operating. And really the only thing you can control is the way you handle yourself. So I I say to physicians, you know, set everything else aside and just bear in mind that the most important thing you can do is to come through this process with a clean conscience. Whatever gets you through with a clean conscience will constitute a win in my book. Now, if along the way, you have a verdict in your favor or you, you know, feel like things play out in a way that accurately reflects reflects the medicine. That's beautiful. That's not something to be sneezed at. But at the end of the day, as one of my favorite singers, Jimmy Dale Gilmore says, everyone's got to go to sleep alone and you will, you have to be able to go to sleep with your own conscience. So... Yeah. So I think what can we control? That is a very helpful step, a very helpful question every step of the way in any kind of difficult situation, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it came down a lot of days to the only thing I can control right now is the only thing I can do to like feel someone in control is to go take a walk. (laughs) I have never walked so much. (laughs) What it was very healthy, very healthy response to things.
0: (laughs) You know, another thing that, that in the whole, like, what do you actually have control of? Another question that I ask people when they're kind of in the middle of the sea of misery is what do you have to do today? Like, what do you seriously have to do? Because you can get caught up in the overwhelm of this and that and the list and this and call and the office kids. uh, And I'm like, no, back it up. What do you have to do today? Yeah, you have to get out of bed. Yeah, you have to attempt some hygiene care. Right, got to drink some water, and make sure your kids are fed and in the place they have to be.
1: That's right. all you have
0: to do. It's really right. all you have to do. Brush your teeth, get out of bed, make sure that your dependents are okay. That's right. That's and when right. you back it down to that, then all the other stuff. Then I think you can see the like, oh, what can I control and what can I not control, and, right. and you know. That's one thing too, is I've been doing some, um, like business mastermind groups talking with physicians who are busy and they're, they're starting these side hustles and these new businesses and like just all the stuff. Right. My one question is what is the one thing that has to be done this week? And that one thing has to be the most impactful thing for your business. You know, that might not evidently be the blog post or the podcast episode. Maybe it's just literally getting on the phone, doing that phone call that you've been putting off because you need to have that conversation.
1: Right. 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 Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I have loved this. I know you have so much goodness as far as extra resources and, and, all the knowledge and experience that you bring into this realm if there are some listeners out there who are maybe facing this or who have faced this or just want to know more about your work where can we direct them so well
1: first of all i have a website which is at www. Thrive Physician, all one word, T H R I V E P H Y S I C I A N dot com. And that provides people with access to a few things. First of all, I have a blog there, and even recently I've started doing a little bit of uh, video posts. That's a whole new realm for me. So some are written, a couple are video, uh, but they sort of uh, they center consistently on Either issues that relate to recovering from adverse outcomes and sort of physician well-being in that realm or the nuts and bolts of litigation and then also there uh, people can find access to coaching services I do one-on-one coaching for people coming through litigation and or recovering from adverse outcomes and they can find me for public speaking purposes. I do quite a bit of public speaking and enjoy traveling. My kids are grown and flown, so to speak, so I have the opportunity to travel and meet with groups of physicians and just talk about what these adverse outcomes feel like and uh, explore what that means for us as human beings, how that really makes us part of a larger human community of other people out doing heroic kinds of work as well and uh, how we survive litigation so and then in my future I dream of you know retreats and I'm working on building an online course so there's more to come but that is the place where people can reliably find me
0: good well I will send them all there in the show notes and get them all connected with you and your work and i have just so loved our time together and i so appreciate you spreading your work out into the world thank you so much i've really enjoyed talking with you Erin. Right. kick of encouragement time. Gosh, there were so many in that conversation. So I'm just going to pull two out to refresh your memory and have you think through these. Dr. Deerman mentioned about the hermit crab and how once a hermit crab grows, they go to a new shell or they find a new shell or a little bit, bit of trash or just whatever the, the new that they now fit into. And I would just have you reflect When you were a little hermit crab five years ago, what was the shell that you were fitting into? Now, today, are you still in that same shell or have you changed? And if you've changed, what does your shell look like today? And then next, I want you to think about what's your shell going to look like a year from now? Or maybe three years from now? Or maybe even longer? But what is that next shell going to be? And when are you going to know that it's time to shed this one and move into the next one? We just got back from a vacation to Florida. And I do love little scurrying things in the beach. And I love thinking about how we're not stagnant. We are moving. We are changing. And we have permission to change shells. And if you want to bedazzle your damn shell, you go ahead. If you want to paint it a crazy color, please do. If you don't want a shell and you want to upgrade to something else, by all means, go, girl, go. The other thing I wanted to pull out from our conversation was about the armor. That we do have to armor up many times in our career path. But I think it is so important to have a safe space where you can take that armor off. Because, like we mentioned, it gets awful stanky and festering under anything that isn't removed after some time. So when was the last time you took your armor off? When was the last time you talked about something that happened at work that was really painful or really emotional? Or maybe a time that you had all the feels but couldn't let it out at that point? I would encourage you get a hold of me, get a hold of Stacia, get a hold of someone who can provide a safe space for you and can properly help you disarm her, clean it up, lick any wounds that you have, stick some band-aids on, get you healed up so that when it's time you can put that armor on again and it feels good. Well, I just so appreciate you listening through this conversation, hanging out with me on the podcast. And I just want to remind you that your life, your calling, your pulse matters.